to the USA Hockey Podcast, a youth sports conversation focused on providing players, coaches, and parents with engaging and informative content that they can use at home and at the rink. Tune in as we chat with some of the greatest people around ice hockey and youth sports. Join the discussion on Twitter at USA Hockey Coach. Now, let's drop that puck. Hello, everyone, and happy holidays. Hope you are having a great uh, winter break or holiday break or enjoyed a, a few days off with, with family and friends. And thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, today, we chat with Frank Saratori, who is the current head coach at the Air Force Academy. Frank has been coaching for 40 years and has spent the last 26 with the Falcons. So if you are a current head coach or aspiring to be a head coach, Listen in as we talk about his time coaching, how he has adapted his coaching over the many years, and what some of his coaching philosophies are. We even touch on his playing career and talk a little bit about his late entrance into hockey and how that made him who he is today. I hope you enjoy this conversation, so let's get right into it. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show, and I am very pleased to welcome on our next guest who has quite an extensive coaching career. Uh, from the USHL and University of North Dakota, University of Denver, and now for the last 26 years, he's been the head coach for the Air Force Academy. So please welcome on Frank Saratori. Hi, Zach. Great to be on with you, pal. Yeah, happy to have you on, and uh, thanks for coming on, and we appreciate you giving us, uh, I'm sure, what's probably a pretty busy time for you uh, in the middle of the season. So, um, this is a youth sport podcast, so we will talk about players, parents, and coaches. So uh, everyone we have on the show, we have them kind of share their journey. So I would love to know the Frank Saratori youth sports experience. Well, first of all, uh, I'm a dinosaur. So when you're talking about youth hockey, um, you're talking about youth hockey uh, back in the last century. And uh not back in the end of the last century, even earlier before that. Um, I had an, an unusual uh, 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 trip to hockey. Uh, I grew up in a little town called uh, Deer River, Minnesota, and they didn't have uh, hockey there. My dad was a school teacher there. We were right on the edge of the, of the Leech Lake uh, Reservation, and uh, he taught school there. And uh, uh, we moved uh, about 25 miles uh, into to the Iron Range, which was a a big hockey area in, in northern Minnesota. And we moved there when I was going into seventh grade. And we went there, and I remember going uh, and watching the high school games. High school hockey was, it, like, in those days, was was it was unbelievable. It, like, the buildings were full, and uh, the enthusiasm, and the pep bands, and uh, and uh, full houses for every game. It was, uh, it was a sight to behold. And I remember moving there and going to a hockey game. I thought it was the coolest thing uh, I had ever seen. And uh, so we started to play street hockey with the guys in the neighborhood and that type of thing. And, and uh, uh, we got to uh, eighth grade and I just said, you know, I, I was, had been playing basketball and I really didn't uh, uh, was didn't really like basketball. wasn't great at it. And, uh, and, and I had this hockey bug and I wanted to play and I had played enough uh, on the streets and on the, the rink behind our house. Uh, the rink behind our house was a baseball field in the, in the summer. And then in the winter, uh, the, the city came out and flooded it and made a hockey rink out of it. So right behind my house was a hockey rink. So we went back and skated anyway, got into eighth grade and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, 
uh, I wanted to uh, uh, play. So, you know, I started to play more in the backyard and that type of thing. And, and actually where I, like, I, 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 I kind of got decent at the skills at the puck skills and, you know, my skating still took a while, wise to, a while to, to catch up. Uh, and then I got into the ninth grade and uh, I wanted to, and I just all of a sudden I said, I want to play. And so even if it's just to play house league, I, I like uh, uh, our house league back in those days, uh, the, 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 the high school that we played for was Greenway. And uh, it was a iron range. We had all these different mining locations and, and every town, uh, there was a bunch of little towns that all went to Greenway High School, a Prairie, Coleraine, Bovee, Taconite, Marble, Calumet, Pengilly, Lawrence Lake, um, uh, Cloverdale, uh, all, and everybody had their own uh, a town team. And then everybody would come together and go to the same uh, high school, Greenway High School. And also they would make an all-star team from, from, all the, from all the little towns. And then we would go out and represent the district uh, uh, as Greenway for the district peewee tournament, the district Bantam tournament, that type of thing. So I just wanted to play. So I, I tried out for the house league uh, in, in Coleraine uh, when I was in ninth grade. And we already had a goalie in Coleraine. And, uh, and uh, the neighboring town, Bovee, didn't have a, a goalie. And uh, they, didn't, they just didn't have one. So uh, I, I, I got picked up to play for Bovee, not because I made the team, simply because they needed somebody to stand in there and uh, and I was available. Well, I went in and and I actually took to the position really well. I was a good baseball player and and uh, my hand-eye coordination was good. And uh, ironically, I'm playing for a couple months on the house league team, and they're starting to put together the uh, the all uh, the all-star team to represent the district in the district tournament. And I was approached uh, by the coach there and said, "Hey, I want you to try out for the all-star team." And I'm like, "I've only been playing hockey for two months." and uh, uh, actually went and, and tried out, and I made the all-star team. And, uh, uh, and I made it, I was a goalie. I had to do it as a goalie. I, I lacked skating skills. I hadn't played, you know, up until I was in seventh grade. Uh, but, I, but I made uh, uh, the, the Bantam team. And uh, ironically, we went to the, all the way to the state finals. We lost in the Met Center uh, where the North Stars played. We lost to Edina, which was a big, powerful school in the Twin Cities in the championship game, but our, our team. So I went from not being a hockey player to playing in a state championship, uh, Bantams, uh, 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 tournament, uh, the state championship game in, le in less than one year, it was, it was mind boggling. And then the next year, my 10th grade year, I got picked up, uh, to play on the high school team. And I was the backup goalie on the, on the, actually on the varsity team. And, uh, and, this was good hockey back then. And I just, uh, I just took to the position and, and, uh, and they needed a, you know, they needed goalies and, uh, and uh, I just kind of went by a lot of guys and, and, uh, and I, I played uh, the majority of the, of the B team games and I played a couple of uh, the uh, varsity games that year and then played even more my junior year. And then all the games, my, my senior year. And, and, uh, and uh, I was picked uh, WCCO uh, all state uh, uh, goaltender along with Steve Janizak, uh, who was, went on to be the backup goalie with the 80 Olympic team. And uh, uh, so, and then I went on to play junior hockey in, in, uh, in St. Paul for the Vulcans for a guy named Dougie Woog, and, uh, who, went, who went on to coach uh, the Gophers. Uh, and then I went to Western Michigan and, and Bemidji State and, and uh, played college hockey at, at those two places. So, you know, it, it was a crazy, and it was a short period of time. I mean, from, 
from ninth grade all the way, you know, I'm, I'm playing division one college hockey in less than, you know, in less than uh, pretty much five years, I was, uh, went from being a youth hockey player uh, to being a college hockey player. And uh, it just goes to show you, um, you know, you're never, it's never over till it's over. And, uh, you know, I was a late bloomer just because I came to the game late. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it, it, it speaks volumes about keeping players involved. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the players that are your best players uh, on your might and squirt teams and peewee teams aren't necessarily going to be the best players on your, on your midget teams and your high school teams and, uh, and, and that type of thing. So that's, uh, I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear. That's, that's my, that's my youth hockey. That's my youth hockey story. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. And you touch on so many things that, that are really important, like that late developer and, and people who get into the game a little bit later. I was a goalie myself and I actually didn't start playing goalie until I was in high school as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting and I, I don't need to speak too much about it cause you summed it up really nicely, but, uh, yeah, quite, quite an awesome journey for you. Um, and so I noticed then that you didn't take any time off. You went right from playing and straight into coaching in the USHL. So what was your draw right into coaching? Well, first of all, growing up, I, I had some good coaches. Uh, I had good coaches in all, all sports. I was a multi-sport athlete um, back when, when, when athletes did that. I played football in the fall. I played hockey in the winter. I played baseball in the spring and summer, played on the high school team, played on the VFW teams, uh, uh, the American Legion teams. I played amateur baseball with the, with the men. Uh, I was actually a better baseball player than I was a hockey player. But uh, I had some really good coaches. Uh, uh, the, to mention Bob Janander, uh, who sc scouted for years with the Dallas Stars. Bob was, was my uh, first high school coach, and, uh, and I was scheduled to go play junior hockey for him in Fargo, and it didn't work out because their team folded, and I ended up going to St. Paul with Doug Woog. Uh, but uh, that was another break. I got a chance to go play for Doug Woog in St. Paul. I played for him for two years. So I had Bob Janander, and then I had uh, uh, Doug Woog. And, uh, and then uh, uh, I went to college, and I was at Western Michigan, and, and uh, things didn't work out the way I wanted it to there so, there, so I transferred back to Bemidji State. And it ended up being the best break I ever had, the best thing uh, for my life. I came back, and I played for, for Bob Peters at Bemidji State, and Bob is, a, is an absolute uh, uh, college hockey uh, coaching legend. And um, these guys, uh, uh, Janander and, and – uh, Doug Woog and, and, and then Peters especially uh, really like inspired me about, you know, the game and, and uh, the inner workings of the game, uh, coaching the game. We like Bob Peters had a hockey class that we had to attend. And, and uh, it was the first guy where I went and we had a notebook and there was reasons why we did everything. And here's the systems we use and here's why we finish checks. And here's why we reload and back checked up through the middle. This is why we block shots. This is why, like, there was a reason. It was a, it was almost a science. The game was a science to him, and uh, it just that just captivated me, and I, and uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. And uh, uh, I realized when I was at Bemidji State, I played. I was the backup goalie behind a, a guy named Jimmy Scanlon, and Jimmy's now the the women's coach at Bemidji State. And Jimmy was a much better goalie than me. And I realized that that my future wasn't going to be as a player. It wasn't going to be there were pro hockey was not going to be in my future. Uh, I played hockey and baseball at Bemidji state while I was there. And I was actually, 
I was the shortstop on the baseball team, and I was the backup goalie of the hockey team. So that'll tell you something. But uh, Bob Peters inspired me. I go, like the one thing I, I, I had always been my whole life, I had always been a member of a team, whether it's Little League Baseball or, or football in junior high and high school, um, hockey when I got involved in that. Prior to hockey, I was on a basketball team. I could never not remember being on a team. And uh, my playing career was coming to an end. And I, I just I just really enjoyed being part of a team. And, okay, how do you do that? How do you do that when your playing days are done? And I, I love sports, and I love being a part of a team. And I said, to me, a natural trans, you know, transition for me would be coaching. And so I started to coach. I started to coach Little League Baseball. I actually coached American League Beach, uh, American Legion Baseball. Uh, I took a team uh, – uh, in my hometown with my two little brothers playing on it to the, to the state tournament as a, as an American Legion baseball coach. And then I started to, you know, with Bob Peters, I got inspired me to be uh, with, to be a hockey coach. And I felt with the foundation I got from him that I could go and I could do a good job. Uh, I was successful at, in baseball and I, I really felt I could be successful in hockey as well. That, that maybe that would be my calling. And, uh, I actually graduated from Bemidji, and I, I had uh, coached the JV team at, at my hometown, uh, Greenway Coleraine, uh, while I was uh, a student teaching. And I, I got my degree, and I actually um, I, I applied for a job in Fargo. And um, I didn't get the head coaching job in Fargo, but they offered me, I did, I did well in my interview, and they offered me an assistant coach job uh, working with one of my buddies at, at, at the time, a guy named Dave Morinville. And I was all set to go to Fargo. And uh, and uh, be a, a, an assistant coach at, at at Fargo North High School, and uh, uh, I was working hockey camp as a goalies coach for Bob Peters, and I also worked for another guy that inspired me, uh, Chuck Grillo, who was in the game for years. But uh, but uh, Bob came up to me uh, after after uh, practice one day after camp and said, "Hey, you ever think about uh, coaching junior hockey?" And I go, uh, you know, because I had played junior hockey, and I said, "Well, I go." I, I haven't, but I sure would be interested in that. And he said, well, the Austin Mavericks just lost their coach. Uh, Frank Anzalone is going to Lake Superior to be an assistant with Bill Selman. And uh, the Austin Mavericks called me and they're looking for a coach. And if you're interested, I can get you an interview down there. And uh, so I went down and, uh, and interviewed there. And, and uh, again, there wasn't a strong field. The field wasn't very strong. They weren't paying a whole lot of money. It wasn't like the USHL of today. Uh, it was the early years of the USHL, and uh, and uh, did well on my interview, and they offered me a job. I was I didn't get paid hardly anything, but uh, but I didn't care. I just wanted to coach, and to be able to coach at that junior level uh, was something that that was fantastic. So uh, that's uh, I ended up going to Austin, uh, turning down the high school job at Fargo. I really didn't have much interest in in teaching high school. I just wanted to be a coach. So this you know was right down my alley. And uh, so went down there and, and uh, the three years I was in Austin, the first year uh, we started off the first half of the year, we were seven and 17. Uh, the second half of the year, we were 17 and seven, finished third. And uh, we came a game away from upsetting uh, Dubuque, who ended up being the national champion that year. Uh, we lost game five in a five game series and uh, came back the next year with a team. And, and we finished second in the league my, my second year. And uh, came back the third year. We won the Anderson Cup uh, in the USHL my third year. And uh, then we went over, uh, uh, we moved over to Rochester because uh, the heartbeat of, of uh, Austin, Minnesota is, the Hor is Hormel Meatpacking. And they had gone on a strike. And, uh, 
and we couldn't afford to have a team. People didn't have any money. They weren't working. And uh, so uh, my owner, Jim Weber, relocated the team uh, over to, uh, to Rochester, and I went with the team. And we went over there, and we had another second-place finish there and went to the national tournament and finished right behind uh, 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 Sioux City. Uh, then uh, my fifth year, uh, we won everything. Uh, we won the, the Anderson Cup, the regular season championship. We won the Clark Cup. And then we won uh, uh, we won the national championship. They had a they had a, it was an a, before USA Hockey it was called A House, the Amateur Hockey Association of the United States, and we won the uh, the A House or the USA Hockey National Championship. And uh, and then and then from there I had, I got an opportunity to go to North Dakota and uh, and uh, be an assistant coach under Gino Gasparini and uh, get my graduate degree at North Dakota. I was there for two years with Gino worked with uh, Gino was a wonderful coach, wonderful guy, learned a lot from him, learned just as much from the coaches that I worked with. Dean Blaze was an assistant on the staff and Kerry Eads was an assistant. Uh, and uh, both those guys, high end, high level coaches and uh, was a terrific experience for me. After that, I, I went uh, uh, to uh, uh, back to Omaha to the USHL for a year. And we went back and, and took a team that had only won 15 games in three years and I knew where all the players were having coached at North Dakota and went down and, and cut just about everybody on the team, brought in a bunch of ringers. And, uh, and uh, we won the Anderson cup and the Clark cup again in Omaha in the first year. Uh, and they call it still called to this day, the worst, the first team in Omaha. And uh, that led to an opening at the university of Denver. And I was only like 32 years old. And I, I applied for the job at Denver and got, and, and uh, went there and interviewed and got that job. And, then I coached some pro hockey uh, in Minnesota with the, in the International League and and then uh, uh, had a chance to go to Pittsburgh with uh, Kevin Constantine and be an assistant with the Penguins and that uh, it, when Mario was making his first comeback and but had an opportunity to come to the Air Force Academy um, and uh, came and visited, took this, uh, it took us, I had a young family and, and uh, decided to come out and interview at Air Force and uh, never thought it would really be my cup of tea and uh, came out and interviewed. I actually had heard about the job from Don Lucia, and uh, Don was a uh, uh, was an old friend of mine from the Iron Range, and and Don was coaching down at uh, Colorado College, and uh, and I got an interview, and actually Art Berglund uh, helped get me that interview from USA Hockey, and came in and interviewed here, and and uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be like. I thought I'd see a bunch of grim-faced kids goose stepping around, and didn't think it was going to be my cup of tea. I, I expected I would end up with Pittsburgh with Kevin Constantine, and and uh, uh, I liked it. Uh, my wife and I had liked Colorado when we were coaching when I was coaching at Denver, and we decided to give it a shot for a couple of years. And uh, 26 years later, I'm still here. I'm still in the same office and uh, still coaching the same job and still living in Colorado, and uh, and uh, I've loved every minute of it. That's awesome, and uh, it's quite an accomplishment to be able to coach for a, as long as you have, and I believe, if I did the math correctly, this is your 40th year now coaching, um, which is unbelievable. So I would imagine, though, that from young uh, Frank Saratori as a coach till now that a lot's changed um, in terms of the way that maybe you handle things or the way that you run practices or whatever it may be. So uh, can you tell me about some of the things that have changed for you as a coach and things that you've developed and learned along the way? Well, that's a great question, Zach. And I can tell you, like I have over 40 years, like well, 40 years ago, um, keep in mind, um, 
you know, the kids were different. Society was different. Uh, when I first started coaching, you know, the coaches were pretty much authority figures. They were very dictatorial. Um, you know, the, 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 the star coaches of the day were guys like Herb Brooks, who was a dictatorial coach, uh, Bob Knight, who was, uh, you know, off the charts. I mean, uh, with, with how he coached, even Vince Lombardi was a taskmaster. Um, and the guys that I learned from, uh, Gino Gasparini was a, was a, a taskmaster, you know, a fair, a fair man, and, but, but, but a taskmaster nonetheless. And, uh, when I started coaching, that's the way I coached. And, uh, uh, it's just the way it was. Um, uh, but as, as times evolve, the kids evolve, the games a lot evolve, society evolves. And I can tell you straight out that, that, uh, that I've had to reinvent myself, you know, at least three, four, five times over the, uh, over the course of my, uh, career. Uh, uh, the times now are much different than the times were back then. And, uh, yeah, like you either, uh, you either adapt, uh, you either adapt to the changing times or you go the way of the dinosaur. And, uh, and, uh, many coaches over the years have gone the way of the dinosaur because they were unable to adapt, uh, unable to change the way, uh, they messaged their players and, uh, uh, the way they conducted their business. And, uh, you know, if it's one thing that I think I've done a good job at, I think it's, it's been recognizing, recognizing those things, recognizing those changes, uh, making the changes that, that I've needed to make and, uh, uh, reinventing myself and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, moving on the Frank territory of today, the guys that played for me, uh, in Austin and Rochester, uh, in, in the eighties, uh, would uh, if they were playing for me now? There, they would be playing for a for a much different coach, a much different coach, and uh, and you know what? A much better coach. Um, I, I like. Uh, I have a better relationship now with my players than I did back then. And uh, you know, back then it was more you just told the players what to do. Uh, now uh, we have a, a leadership group. Uh, we that that is is that that's our our conduit, our coaches' conduit uh, to the team and. Uh, there's very little decisions that we make uh, that we that that we don't go through our leadership group uh, that we don't pass through our leadership uh, group and get okayed uh, before we go ahead and and uh, and move forward on it. Uh, depending if and there's a lot of different things, you know. Some of it might have to do with with uh, practicing on given weeks, how hard we practice. Uh, some of it might have to do uh, with discipline. Some of it might have to do with with team travel. Uh, uh, we don't. I. I, I they don't cut a player. I don't cut a player. We don't cut a player without first, uh, you know, uh, meeting with our leadership group to make sure that, you know, hey, here's, you know, here's the reason we're doing these things. And and one of the and one of the big reasons that we do this is because the decisions we make, we we need to have those accepted by the team. We need to make the right decisions, and we need to make sure that they're being accepted by the team. And you bring your leadership group in here, and and if they're not on board with something, you got to ask them why. And if they've got good reasons not to move forward on something, you're probably best apt not to go in that direction. Um, but, uh, but, but also, uh, the, when you do move forward, you have, whether it's as a discipline issue or you have to cut a player, um, you, you, you prep the leadership group, you give them your rationale. And if they say, you know what, coach, we don't really like it because he's a buddy of ours or, or this or that, but we understand what you're doing, what you have to do, and, uh, and we support it. And, uh, and we do those because we need those captains. We need that leadership group. Uh, to be in charge of the meeting after the meeting. When we go in and break the news uh, on something, uh, it, it may not go over big in the room, and we need to know that that leadership group 
is behind what we're doing and they're supporting it. And if they're not behind it and can't support it, then we're probably not going to go in that direction. But it's a lot more, I'm a lot more, it's a lot more diplomatic right now than, than, than it once was. And, uh, and you have to, and you know what, uh, and uh, the political correctness of today is, is much different than it was uh, back in the, uh, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And, uh, and, and you have to stay up on, on those things too. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And, uh, um, and uh, you know, you wanna be, you wanna be as a coach, uh, a great role model in every way, shape and form. And you can't be that unless you, unless you keep up and stay up on the times. Yeah, and so you talk a lot about how you involve your players in these decisions, and it sounds like your players and, and who they are is pretty important to you. So when you go out on the road kind of recruiting or, or looking for players or, or people to join your program, what are some things that you look for? Well, obviously you need to you need to get the best you need to get talented players, the best talent that you can find. But also the the you know the talent needs to also be able to fit, uh, uh, to fit, uh, fit your team, your team culture, the culture of your institution. Uh, you know, uh, everybody wants the movie miracle when Herb Brooks is picking the team and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh one of the, uh, guys helping, uh, whether it was Craig Patrick or whoever came up and say, well, like, why are you taking this guy over this guy? This guy's a better player than this guy. And he said, you know what? I'm not less necessarily looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. And that's what we need here at Air Force. We need the right players. Yeah, you need to be a, a good player, but also you need to be able to fit into what we are, uh, our team culture. Uh, you need to fit into our institutional culture. Um, it's not going to do anybody any good to bring somebody in that's not going to fit. And uh, uh, when we bring players in here, the players that we bring in, we have a, like we've had a great culture here for a long time a great team culture. And we tell players when they come in that you have to be able to assimilate to our culture because our culture is not going to assimilate to you. We like what we are. And, uh, and if you're coming here, you're coming here because you want to be a part of what we're, what we're all about. And so what are some of the common themes you say that you guys have a great team culture? What are some of the things that you guys uh, look to reinforce and, and look to do and how do you create that good team culture? Well, for, first of all, you have to have good people and you can't, you have to have people that are, that are willing to put, uh, put the team ahead of themselves. And uh, especially here at Air Force, we don't get NHL draft choices. We don't get like, we don't have a great player across the board. If they were a great player across the board, they'd be an NHL draft choice and they'd be at one of the higher echelon schools in, in collegiate hockey. Now we have a bunch of guys that bring something to the table. They all have, a good to very good, and some even have a great attribute or maybe an attribute or two, um, but they don't have it all. And uh, you know what we what we, we the one thing all of them have to have they all have to have character. They all have to be willing uh, to put the team uh, ahead of of themselves. And uh, as far as you know how we're successful, we're never going to be successful because because we put out a a great collection of talent. That that's not us. You know, we're not going to put out a great collection of talent like Denver's able to do, like Minnesota's able to do, Michigan and in uh, Boston College and and uh, and, and programs uh, of that ilk. That that's not us. You know, we are the sum of our parts, and when we're great, it's because we become we become great collectively. We become a great uh, team in the sense of the team, and uh, 
I, would, I talked about uh, Carrie Eads, who I worked with at, at North Dakota. Remember telling me one time, it, uh, Frank, it takes a lot of different or instruments to make up an orchestra. And that's what we have here. All of our guys bring something to the table. They have an attribute that they bring to the table. And, you know, uh, you know, some of our guys may bring uh, great uh, uh, skating speed, some physical presence. Some may bring a playmaking. Uh, they have a knack for playmaking, Billy. Uh, some may have a knack for, for with a, may have a scoring touch. And, um, and what we do, we take all these people together. And what I say is, a, is we don't have one guy that has it all, uh, that has it all. But collectively within the, within the framework of our team, we have it all. When we're putting our lines together, uh, we're, we're going to put a guy together that, that can skate and be a good F1. Another guy that, that, that has that, that uh, uh, knack uh, uh, for playmaking. Another guy that maybe has a scoring touch. And, and uh, individually, they don't have it all, but collectively on that line, they do. The same thing on defense. Uh, a defenseman that maybe isn't great uh, defensively, but, has, but, but has, a, the, has some upside where you kick that puck back to him. He can help run a power play. And you put him with a guy that maybe is a bit more defensive. That'll back him up and, and maybe end up being, probably end up being uh, a great penalty killer for you. So when you're talking about us put together teams, what's the common denominator? Got to have good people. You got to have good people. And because hockey's hard and uh, and they have to be willing to accept a role and and embrace a role. Uh, we can't have guys that that aren't if they're not on the power play, they're going to have a sour attitude. If they're not on the power play, you need to embrace being a penalty killer. And we need you to embrace whatever we ask you to do. And if you do that and you do it well collectively, when our group of of 18 and 19 skaters, uh, it, when, when they're all connected and doing what they need to do, that's when we become uh, that's when we become uh, great and we become great collectively. The years we went to the NCAA tournament, uh, one, we, the years we won Atlantic championships, we won nine Atlantic championships. Uh, we we've won we went to the national tournament, the NCAA tournament seven times. Uh, we've knocked off uh, the, uh, a number one seed in the first round three times. Well, the University of Michigan one year, uh, Western Michigan another year. St. Cloud was the number one overall seed. Uh, one year, like when we beat those teams, we didn't beat them because our collection of talent was better than their collection of talent. We beat them because because we were collectively we were a better team in the team sense than they were. That's awesome. That was that's really really cool. And um, actually, I you end up answering so many of the other questions that I have here about um, what makes some of those teams so special. And so. Um, Really, I kind of want to move towards, you know, once a player is at your program, you know, what are some areas that you emphasize, whether it be on the ice um, or off the ice? And how do you work on those areas with your team? Well, I mean, obviously, we like we have our practices that we run. We have our individual skill sessions that we run just like 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 everybody does. Uh, but the biggest thing here at the Air Force Academy is uh, these kids are taking 20 to 21 credits of real stuff, right? I mean, real difficult stuff. And uh, uh, their days are, are full. That's the bad news. The good news is they're, they're, on, they're on full scholarships plus, so they don't have to worry about, you know, about how they're going to pay the bills. Uh, all they need to do, they need to take care of schoolwork and they need to take care of hockey. Uh, but school, school takes up a lot of their time. They also have some things that they 
have to be accountable for militarily in their squadrons. Not as much during the season as in the offseason. They get exempted from a bit of it in, uh, during the season because there just isn't enough time in the day to be a, a full-time uh, Division One athlete, a full-time uh, uh, student at a, at a at an, insta, a higher, uh, insta, an institution of higher learning like we have here, and to be a full-time soldier. There's just not enough time in the day. So most of it, it during the season is, is hockey and schoolwork. So the biggest thing for us is budgeting time. Like we take, oftentimes, we take one day a week. When we're playing at home, it's a Tuesday. When we're traveling, it's a Wednesday. They'll get Sunday off, and we'll take Tuesday and Wednesday off. You know, depending upon the week, we'll take one of those days off. And it's not because we don't have things to work on, but it's just that we can't be trying to jam uh, 10 pounds of meat in a five pound bag. These guys have only got so much energy. They've only got so much battery acid. They've got to get their schoolwork done. They've got to get prepared as best they can for hockey. But if you try to do everything, like if you try to do too much uh, on Friday, when it counts, you walk in that locker room, you're going to see tired eyes. And uh, we can't have tired eyes and tired minds on Friday and Saturday. When I walk in that locker room, uh, I, I want to see bright eyes. And uh, I want to see bright eyes. I want to see bright minds. I want to see I want to see quick legs and uh, energy on, on the ice. So sometimes here at the Air Force Academy, as opposed to a traditional school, like during the week, we have to oftentimes take one step backwards in order to make two steps forward to be good on Friday and Saturday. So you know, and also we have to count our leadership group. Sometimes uh, they're they're in the middle of their finals here, and they're taking you know Astro and and uh, the, some of these classes I can't even uh, uh, spell the names of them, but they but they're taking all these classes and they have all these finals coming at one time. And sometimes the the, the captains need to come in and say, hey, coach, you know we need to have uh, a voluntary practice today, or you know what we need to take today off, or you know what, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so need to go get tutoring today because they've got a, a big test tomorrow. And we need to be like, we need to be flexible towards those things because we need our players to do well in school because if they're not doing well in school, it's going to cause a distraction because they care. It's going to cause a distraction in their life. And if they're distracted because their things aren't going well in the classroom, it, that's going to trickle over into hockey and, and uh, their concentration on, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, it's it's going to take away from from uh, what they're able to accomplish in hockey too. So, so you know, it's a it's a it's a constant ba uh, balancing act between you know making sure that they've got the time that they need to to get rest and do well in school, but also uh, where we're doing what we the, they we're we're maximizing our potential. We're doing the best we can with the time allotted uh, to be prepared uh, to put our best foot forward on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, and you so you touched on it a little bit here, and obviously how important the off ice stuff is, like school and, and taking care of their military duties. Um, I would love to talk about kind of if you, if I were to walk into uh, Frank Saratori practice, which by the way I, I got a tour of Air Force Academy a few years back. I loved walking into the rink and kind of look, looking down and, and seeing it. Um, it was an unbelievable view, and I, I love the rink, but. If you were to walk into a Frank Saratori practice, what could we expect to see on the ice? Well, I can tell you one thing. If you're walking into a Frank Saratori practice 15 or 20 years ago, you'd see Frank Saratori doing just about everything. And uh, uh, that was another thing, a residual effect from, from back in the day 
uh, when I coached in the USHL, I never had an assistant coach. I, I was the only coach and uh, I did everything. I sharpened the skates and I ordered, I, I ordered the equipment. Uh, you know, we had to give every team a, a, a case of Coca-Cola uh, after the game, after each game to, uh, on their bus. Uh, I went and picked up the Coke. Uh, I, I put it in their shower and threw the ice on top of it to make sure it was cold. I did virtually everything. And, uh, and then I went, to, I, and I did that all the way until I went to Denver. And I wasn't very good at delegating uh, when I went to Denver. And I think uh, uh, we didn't maximize our potential when I was there, uh, partly because of that. When I came to Air Force, the same thing. I I'd actually coached pro hockey in the International League and had Mike Antonovich with me and, and uh, Greg Rogenin and Dave Morinville. I had some good guys helping me there. But when I came to, to Air Force, I, I hired some good people. I started to delegate more, but I was still uh, the drivetrain. I was the drivetrain. And, uh, and I'm still the drivetrain in a sense behind the scenes. But I have got good people uh, that if you came to watch a Frank Saratori practice today, uh, when you go out there, you're going to see Frank out there. But you're also going to see Andy Berg out there. You're going to see Joe Doyle out there. You're going to see Joe Doyle driving a lot of it. Uh, um, he's a young guy that's an elite level coach um, that uh, is really, really good at what he does. And uh, uh, Josh Holmstrom is our director of hockey. And uh, you, you're gonna, you would see us doing, uh, working collectively. You'd see a collective effort out there. And uh, I, I really enjoy that. Uh, uh, first of all, everybody that goes into coaching wants to coach. And um, they have a passion for it. Uh, they want to they have the whistle sometime. And I get an absolute kick. I've got, I've got three great guys that, that I work with, with Joe Doyle and Andy Berg and Josh Holmstrom. And I get an absolute kick out of watching them uh, run drills, uh, run a video session. And, uh, you know, obviously I know what's going to be going on in the ice before I go out there. But I, in absolute, it just thrills me to watch them work and how good they are at what they do. Uh, the same thing with the video sessions. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I talk about, you know, we've talked about how I've had to reinvent myself over the years and, uh, you know, I'm 65 years old. I'm like, I'm an, I'm an old man. I'm an old guy right now. And, uh, I wish I had, I still got good energy for a 65 year old, but I don't have the juice I once had. And if I, tr if I tr even tried to do everything that I once did, first of all, I, w we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as good at it. We wouldn't be as good. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I would burn out in a, in a quick hurry. I would burn out in a quick hurry. Uh, but uh, delegating that, uh, the staff we have, uh, we collectively take uh, on the workload. And uh, this program is much better off for it. And so being able to delegate some of that stuff, it sounds like it frees you up a little bit to kind of um, do a lot more and, and a little bit less stress on you. So as a group, how do you... Um, as the head coach as well, uh, how do you get make sure that all of your coaches are are on the same page and you're all kind of saying the same things, using the same language, and, and kind of moving in the same direction? Well, I think just us being together all the time that you you know uh, you start to uh, talk the same, utilize the same lingo, uh, use the same uh, catchphrases, those types of things. That's just a that's just a, a part of being together and and being together every day. And you're right. Uh, having guys that you trust that are good at what they do, it does. It frees me up to do a lot of the general manager type uh, things. To be honest with you, what I'm doing right now with you, I'm looking at the clock. It's 1:39. You know what started to happen at 1:30 in the office next to me? 
the other three coaches are in there going over video right now. And, uh, you know, me knowing that that they're on top of things and uh, I'll go in and get the Reader's Digest version of it here once we get off. Uh, but, uh, you know, knowing that having guys that are that are not just competent but excel at what they do, it enables me to sit here and freely talk to you without worrying about, oh, man, I'm, I'm missing what's going on next door. Now, I'll get in there and, uh, and I'll get caught up on it. But, uh, uh, no, uh, in this day and age, like uh, with – with all the technology, Zach, I think is the biggest thing. Back when I was telling you, when I was a one-man band, the technology wasn't what it was today. You know, now the technology in terms of scouting and watching players on Instat, we're constantly, I don't travel as much to, to recruit as I once did because I can sit on my 85-inch screen and I can watch prospects on, on Instat. But the, 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 the attention to detail in this day and age in preparing for games, like, we become like football. It's amazing how we how we break down the opposition, the access we have uh, uh, to films on our opposition. And, uh, you know, when we go in and we break down their power play, we break down their penalty kill, not just the special teams, but how their their forechecking tendencies, uh, you know, the, the, the weaknesses that they may have uh, when they're when they're going back to break out a pot. Like, I mean, we the, the amount of time that it takes uh, to go in and 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 and. Uh, and utilize technology for, for recruiting and scouting to break down opponents, to prepare for your, for, for your upcoming opponent. Like there's no way you could not possibly do that by yourself. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say we're understaffed in, in, in hockey, uh, having only three full-time guys and an ops guy. Uh, we're really understaffed because, you know, it's, it's there, there's just a lot there, but, uh, but uh, you have to, in this day and age, uh, again, I've had to reinvent myself. And one of the things that uh, I have had to reinvent myself if I hadn't is getting a good staff that you believe in, uh, delegating uh, uh, different things, whether it's practice plans, whether it's it's uh, video breaking down the opposition, whether it's recruiting. Uh, if you are trying to, to, to do that all by yourself, there's not, there's not anybody that can do that all, all by themselves anymore. You have to do it as a staff. You have to do it collectively. And, uh, and I, I'm blessed uh, to have a fantastic staff with me here at the Air Force Academy. That's great. And um, once again, I, I'm sure that helps you out a ton. And I'm sure you really enjoy their presence and being around them and, and enjoy spending the day to day. And, and so, um, you know, I, I have one one last question and, and just kind of for someone that's been around the game for so long and been coaching for so long. And, and like you said, you've kind of reinvented yourself many times. If, if you could share a message for our youth coaches, um, what would, what would you want every coach to know about how they can best improve their players and their program? Well, it, it's tough and youth hockey's a tough animal. Um, you know, uh, the parents, uh, are, are, can be tough to deal with because, uh, uh, they're investing a lot. Youth hockey, hey, hockey right now, it's a blue collar sport being played by white collar kids for the most part. Um, uh, the cost to play hockey, it's an expensive sport. And uh, uh, these parents are investing a, a tremendous amount of money uh, for their children uh, 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 to play hockey. And a lot of these people are very successful type A people that are used to being in control and in control of situations. And uh, this can make things very difficult on on, uh, on on coaches, on youth hockey coaches. And uh, I think, to me, 
is uh, is what message I you know hey first of all I think communication like uh, we start out the year we have an introductory meeting where we go through everything that can possibly happen in a season we go through it with our players and uh, a lot of this stuff we tell them we only want to talk about once we're going to talk about this once and we don't want to talk about it again and uh, uh, and then we have a Zoom call with the parents and we talk to the parents about with the same using the same outline of what we use with the player so they so so they know what's going on in regards to uh, you know, just all the team rules, when we have meetings, our open door policy, uh, when we're on the road, we're at hotels. If the parents are at the hotels with us, uh, like we cover everything. And, uh, and we give everybody an opportunity at the time, if they don't agree with what we're talking about and the way that we're conducting our business, if they got a better idea, uh, what, like we're, we're open to hearing what they have to say. Um, otherwise we're going to move on and there's going to be ups and there's going to be uh, downs. And, and, uh, and uh, junior sometimes is going to be maybe things are going to be going along pretty good for him and he's playing in all the situations he wants to be playing in. And then sometimes maybe junior uh, needs a little bit of an attitude adjustment and, 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 uh, and he's not playing in those, in those types of situations. But I guess where I'm going is, is I think all you can really do is all, all anybody, the players and the coaches have a, a, a control over all you really, when it's all said and done, all you have control over is your effort, and your attitude, your effort level, and your attitude. And uh, as a player, if you're giving 100% every day and you got a great attitude, that's all you can do. And as a coach, like as long as you, like you're being the best communicator that you can, and, and you're and you're being fair, uh, uh, you know, like uh, you're being fair and you're being honest. Uh, that's all you can do because uh, it, it's a tough business. And uh, like I said, you're dealing with a lot of different personalities when with, with players. And then you're having to deal as a, as a youth operator, not just with the players, but you're having a, you're, you're having to not just having to navigate things with players, but you're having to navigate things with, with parents and parents who are investing a lot in, in the, in their, the hockey development of their child. Uh, you know, we don't have to deal much with, with parents. Uh, but, uh, but we certainly uh, have to deal and navigate a lot of things with within the, framework uh, of our team and our group and our culture with individuals. So, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but, but uh, I think the one thing I would I'd tell is be organized, be upfront, uh, meet with your players, meet with your parents, uh, uh, tell them how you're going to conduct business, let them know, give them an opportunity, give you some feedback, but then it's all been, it's all out on the table. And, uh, and, and if there's any problems, anybody deviates that from that, from, from what you've discussed and, and uh, from, from the way that you conduct your business, uh, if, they, if, if, they, if somebody deviates uh, uh, from that, then, that, then that's on them. Uh, uh, you know, it's all been discussed. It's all up front. Um, it's it's going to be, hopefully, it's going to be a, a, a great journey. And when you're done at the end, everybody's going to say that, uh, you know, my son benefited from this and got better from this. And, but, but let me tell you, uh, the, the, that, that journey uh, through the hockey season is not going to, it's not going to, it's not, it's not going to go, you're not going to go through that journey without a couple of bloody noses and some bumps and some bruises and, uh, and those types of things. That's, uh, that's life. But uh, that's one of the reasons that we're the greatest, I think, uh, we're the greatest life sport uh, that there is out there. I mean, in hockey, you get, you get knocked on your butt, you got to get up. Uh, you want that puck, you got to go get it. If somebody comes at, at you, you can't run out of bounds. You can't run out of bounds. If you're not being a good, a good teammate, 
your teammates are going to let you about it because we're only we're only as, as strong as our weakest link, our group of five play. Everybody has a role. When somebody deviates from that, the rest of the group suffers. But you, these kids are learning such tremendous life lessons uh, 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 from this sport. And, uh, and like I said, it, it's a blue-collar sport being played by white-collar kids. And uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, growing up, having to deal with some adversity, having to get your nose bloodied every once in a while. I think that, I don't think that's a bad thing. And, uh, and I think that uh, uh, they're going to be the, the kids that played hockey, played youth hockey, played up. The lessons that they, they've learned from that uh, are, are going to help them uh, excel in life. I always say that you can, you can buy everything at Walmart except experience. And uh, uh, here at, uh, in hockey, you go out there and, uh, like I said, uh, you can't cheat this game. And uh, uh, you, you can cheat on a lot of things and maybe get away with it, but you can't, you can't, you can't cheat this game. If you cheat this game, try to cheat this game. Um, you're cheating your teammates. And uh, like I said, ultimately, you know, the, the players that play and learn the life lessons that this, this game provides are going to go on and uh, they're going to be a leg up on their peers uh, when they go in and they're working for this corporation or this business, or they're doing this or doing that because they, they understand you know, what it's like and the importance of, of being, uh, being the best you can be and being uh, the best cog you can be in, in that given machine. Yes, sir, I love you, you talked a lot about communication for coaches and how important that is to have honest, open communication, kind of setting expectations for, for this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to do it. We can have a little talk, but everyone's on the same page and we're all going to move forward. And and then on those players, like you said, the, the attitude and effort is is something that they can control. And, um, you know, that's kind of something from from young years until they get older is just attitude and effort and just continue to play hockey. Right. And so um, I don't want to keep you too long because I know, like you said, you do have some film and and we want to keep these uh, relatively shorter. So, um, Frank, thank you so much. The advice that you have for coaches, for players, for parents. Um, for everyone that's listening in, I, I think is unbelievable. And so uh, thank you so much for your time because I know it's busy and look forward to watching Air Force the, uh, the rest of the year. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Zach. Yep, have a great one. Wow, that was an amazing conversation with Frank. And as a current coach with college-age players, I will say that I took a lot of notes and look forward to trying some of this stuff once we return from winter break. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Hockey Coach to join that conversation and let us know some of your thoughts on where we should go next and uh, how you enjoyed some of these episodes. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope you all have a wonderful and happy holidays with friends, family, and, and everything else. So until next time, see you in two weeks. Registration is open for the 2023 USA Hockey Level 5 Coaches Symposium. The Level 5 Coaching Symposium is where aspiring coaches from across the country will gather to attain the highest certification offered by USA Hockey. This year's Coaching Symposium is set for May 4th through the 7th, 2023 at the Seacrest Beach Hotel in Falmouth, Massachusetts. The Level 5 will offer large group and small breakout sessions, giving you the opportunity to explore and apply innovative approaches to coaching. The final list of speakers will feature some of the most accomplished coaches from across the world. We hope to see you there this spring.